This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. All right. Hello and welcome. Welcome. I see some people in the back. Come on in. Join us. One big happy family here. Um, oh, I hear noise. All right. Okay, so welcome to Narrative Storytelling, a crash course. My name is Leah Wright-Rigur. I'm the SNF Professor of History at Johns Hopkins University and an ABC News contributor. I'm also the host of the series that we're gonna talk about today, uh, Reclaimed, the story of Mamie Till Mobley. So I'm joined up here on the stage today, and these people are really the stars of the show on today's panel, by a group of ABC producers. And you may know them from their work on things like The Dropout or In Plain Sight, Lady Bird Johnson, and of course, the Reclaim series. Now, I have to say, um, as we're here today, I don't think it could be, could be even more timely, given that we're coming up on the 67th anniversary of uh, the death of Emmett Till. Um, the tragic tale of Emmett Till is all too well known. And in fact, it's been in the news, I think many of you have been keeping up, uh, it's been in the news even more so of late. But the one thing that we haven't really talked about, that we don't really know a lot about, is Emmett Till's mother. Sure, we know the bits and pieces about her, her making the decision to show his murdered body to the police, uh, to the press, and to the world. Uh, we know about her as a grieving mother. But we don't know very much about who she was as a person. We don't know very much beyond the idea of Mamie as a civil rights figure. So. What we wanted to do in this podcast series is think about who Mamie Till Mobley was as a child, who she was as a mother, and then who she was kind of beyond this figure of motherhood as a figure of justice and of civil rights. And then really think about her legacy, particularly at the end of her life. We set out to, quote unquote, reclaim the legacy of Mamie Till Mobley, and also to tell her story. So today what we're going to do is essentially a crash course. We're gonna talk a lot about how we brought this series to life, and then of course we're gonna go through the nuts and bolts, and I really do mean the nuts and bolts of the editorial and creative process and production overall. Like how do you actually build a podcast from the ground up? And then how do you tell a compelling and moving story that the world wants to hear? Now. I have the job, originally I had the job of introducing the producers on the stage, but you know what? They're the real storytellers, and I think they can do a much better job of introducing themselves. So I'd like to just go on right down the line, tell us who you are, and tell us a little bit about what you do. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Lakia Brown. I'm a senior producer um, at ABC News, and I'm also part of the race and culture team um, at ABC News, and I'm a Capricorn. <laughs> My name is Susie Liu. I'm a supervising producer at ABC where I focus on long form narrative storytelling. Um, I'm based in New York, but I'm originally from Texas, so it's great to be back despite the humidity and the crickets. <laughs> yeah, those crickets are crazy. There's I, uh, I, was, I thought I was in a horror movie last night looking at all of them. Um, I'm Carrie Ann Thomas. Um, I'm a producer here at ABC, uh, also focused on the long form uh, narrative shows. Um, and I am a Virgo, and it's Virgo season, which is great. 
<laughs> well, I'm a Gemini Taurus. I'm a cusper, which means I have a lot of different personalities and I'm very emotional. Um, so <laughs> I think perhaps then this project was a great fit. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But I thought we'd start out from essentially the foundation, from the genesis. And I wanted to ask the panelists, what was the actual genesis of this project? Yeah, so I remember our VP, Liz Alessi, uh, came to us and said, hey, ABC is creating this docuseries about the life of Mamie Till Mobley, and I think there's something there. Um, and that docuseries, by the way, is Let the World See, which is now streaming on Hulu. And I gotta say, there are two things that I really love about working with this organization and feel really fortunate to have access to, which is number one, world-class journalists and storytellers, including this group here, um, but also the team behind the docuseries who were able to secure interviews with so many people from the Till Mobley orbit and essentially you know, capture their memories of Emmett and of Mamie. Um, and number two, the treasure trove of archival material we have both on the TV side and on the radio side. Um, and, you know, I had the privilege of working on In Plain Sight, Lady Bird Johnson, which we did uh, in, in partnership with Best Case Studios. And that was the first time I ever worked with a reel-to-reel -reel machine. Now, if you don't know what that is, the next time you're struggling with Pro Tools or Audition, just look it up and count your blessings, okay? Um, so, yeah, when we were looking and digging through the archives for Reclaimed, um, one of our other producers, Madeline Wood, she found an interview that Mamie Till Mobley did with ABC the year before she passed away. Um, and it was such a reflective and contemplative interview where she, like Leah mentioned, you know, didn't just talk about what Emmett meant to her or what, you know, his death um, really did to her life, but also her life before Emmett. Um, her relationship with her mother, um, her how the church played a huge role in her life. And I think we all kind of fell in love with, with Mamie Till Lovely and her voice. And so there was something there. And I mean, the genesis was the voice of Mamie. Yeah, and just to, just to add to that point about archive tape, archival tape, I th uh, when Susie was interviewing me for this job, I remember she said, uh, we have a literal basement of archival tape that we can truly go and, and dig through. And I thought that was the most exciting thing I'd ever heard. Like, in the basement of ABC, there is just all this archival tape that we can use. And I can't imagine what other stories we'll find in there, but we were so lucky to find such great Mamie tape in there, too. So, so really, we were fortunate, and we recognize that not everyone has that kind of material in their basement. So we will say that. Although I will say, as a historian, you guys are talking my language. We actually, you know, absolutely love the idea of like digging through the crates, finding things in basements. And you know, I, I think certainly there is the power of the vast archive that, that ABC has, both in audio, visual, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but also, you know, there were immediate connections between the work that I was doing before I joined uh, Mamie, which is just going out and seeing what I could find as an ordinary person and what was at my disposal. So certainly, you know, the power of being able to find, you know, these interesting and rich stories that have been untold is, is incredibly um, 
incredibly powerful. And so that brings me to my next question. I think it's a nice feeder into the next question, which is before you even start producing, how do you know that a story is worth telling? Uh, so I think there are universal themes in any story that's compelling, that's good, right? Those are things like love and family and loss, right? And regardless of kind of where you fall on the spectrum of life, those are kind of, that's the thread, I think, of the human experience that we all, that we all see, right? So reg regardless of how deep a loss might be or how much love you have, you, you know what that is. And so I think if you start there, you, you can reach um, anywhere, right? And the story becomes super relatable. I'd also say that in terms of the audience um, and capturing the audience, it's really important to have, you know, compelling and even um, conflicted characters. Um, there has to be some sort of emotional journey. It doesn't mean emotional roller coaster, right? But there has to be kind of a spectrum of emotions and, and mindsets with these characters. And then I'd say impact as well. You know, like why are you actually creating this? What what is your hope that the audience walks away with, right? Even if it's just literally walking away saying like, what would I do if that was me? Or you know, why do I think the way I think? You know, just to create content, just to create content, I, I personally don't think is um, you know the best use of time. Um, and specifically with Mamie's story, um, you know, I think we all know kind of the headline of it. Um, and I think we were excited about this project because it gave us an opportunity to go deeper, um, you know, and, and really kind of unpack who he was, who his family was, who his mom was. Um, and I think that made the story, again, more compelling because there were things that most of us, if we didn't know, we assumed that the audience didn't know that as well. And so obviously, also what makes a great story is, you know, what kind of sound you have. Um, and obviously, as we mentioned before, we had a lot of that, so. Yeah, and I think like what was kind of like new to the stories, like we're, we're telling the story that we're reframing the story or we're diving more in. And like, I think also what makes a good story is surprise. And I think all of us were surprised by a lot of different things in this, in this series. Um, for me, I think like something that I found surprising or really compelling that I, I had never really read about or thought about was just how much Mamie had this like motherly instinct. Like she just knew something was gonna go wrong like she just had it in her gut and she talks about it in her memoir we have tape of it of of you know her relatives that were with her um, at the moment where she she literally like fell ill when when Emmett went on the train and um, that was just really shocking and compelling and and something that I was so glad that we you know put into the series and um, I think you 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 both also have like um, moments that were surprising to you too yeah, so that actually, I mean, I have to say when I was, when we first started this conversation and when I was looking at the script, that I felt like I was constantly learning something as I was going through this. There was just so much new information uh, contained in the story that, that you guys put together. Um, and I'm somebody who has been teaching about Mamie Till Mobley, not just Emma Till, but Mamie Till Mobley uh, for close to two decades. So I really did feel like I learned something new through the process. And I'm happy, you know, later to talk about what it specifically I like found was new. But I'm actually interested in hearing a bit more like from you guys, what did you discover that was new um, about the story as you were researching it, as you were writing it, as you were interviewing people? I'd say the story of 
and its father, Lewis Till. Um, first, the influence that he had on Mamie and um, really lighting a fire in her heart when it came to civil rights. And I mean, it, that started in a, a drugstore where you could get, you know, banana splits. So essentially, Mamie's like revolutionary mindset started with a banana split. Um, but then later on, you know, you hear about his really tragic story when he was sent abroad um, to fight in the war. And that's all I'm going to say, because you're going to have to listen to the series to find out more. No spoilers. <laughs> um, I think really just learning more about who Emmett was as a boy, right? I think most of the time we, when, we, when we hear the story, it starts with kind of what happened at, at that store, right? But learning who he was as a person, right? Like making him not just a, a headline or name, you know, that he was funny and that he was really smart and, you know, how his mother valued education and all of those things, um, I was just surprised at because I didn't know anything other, I didn't know anything else about Emmett other than you know, the, the headline. And so humanizing him and um, actually like falling in love with this little boy is what surprised me, I think. Yeah, I think the, the human aspect of the story is so incredibly important, right, in, in humanizing him. And then also, while we, while we certainly know, you know, part of, the, part of the tension that makes the series so good and so compelling is, is the tragedy, right? We know in part what, you know, a very big part of the story, what's gonna happen. What I also learned was the joy. Like there was so, there's so much joy in the actual script to the series, but more importantly, in the life of Emmett Till, right? You guys wrote these beautiful scenes. This is not a spoiler, but it's, it's a little bit of a preview. They wrote these beautiful scenes of just Emmett dancing and like with his friends and doing like various, and I just remember having so much fun doing the takes talking about, okay, no. Trying to do know, bops, yeah. Right, uh, Leah, put a little more emphasis into how you're talking about them dance. They were having a really good time. And so being able to bring that out, particularly with a story, of the story of Emmett Till, that's so well known for its, you know, for its tragedy, being able to reinsert joy into that experience was just so incredibly, you know, incredibly powerful. And I think, at, at least, I think it's the kind of thing that, the audience didn't expect, but perhaps appreciated. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about if this is the kind of thing or if audience, you know, uh, audience more generally ends up influencing any decisions you make, whether it be kind of the nice decisions or the not so easy and harder and not so nice decisions. I'm gonna go with easy. Um, and I'll speak a little bit about how audience played a role in us deciding to do this project. Um, so we looked at our existing portfolio and you know audience is really hard to generate, right? And so we developed a feed strategy where we had this other amazing series called Tussa's Buried Truth. Um, I worked on that as well with Steve Wosinsami. And that was, a close examination of the Tulsa Race Massacre and the events leading up to it, during it, and after it. Um, and it really was kind of like filling the gaps um, in history because so many people, even lifelong Tulsa residents, hadn't even heard of it. Um, and we really tried to explore why that was, but also how that moment in 1921 
led us to where we are today. And so those were some of the themes in that series, and it really aligned perfectly with what we were trying to do with the story of Mamie Till Mobley. And so we looked at these two stories and we said, you know what, let's give them a home. So we rebranded the feed, and we uh, used the word reclaimed because it is a reclamation of history. Um, and season one is Tulsa, season two is Mamie, and this, is, this feed is where we really focus on the people and the moments that have lied at the periphery of history and who deserve another look. Um, and that, yeah, I, I think that that definitely was a way for us to find an existing audience and build on that and make sure these stories got to them. Yeah. Um, Lakia, were you going to say something? Or? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so I think that's, you know, this idea of audience and kind of building into this kind of what you guys have been working on, but also really thinking about the audience and getting feedback from the audience is really important. And in that respect, I think we also know that part of this kind of, you know, in, in uh, capturing an audience, bringing an audience in, is thinking about the first episode, right? And I think this is also important in terms of thinking about the nuts and bolts as you are building your own podcast, which is, you know, we all know that first, uh, that first episode is crucial. That's the hook. So it's where you actually build that connection with the audience. So I'm, I'm wondering if you guys could talk a little bit about the techniques that you used in Reclaimed to really like make that first episode sing. Right? That's what we say in, in history. Like, How do you make your words sing? How do you make your projects sing? Um, what techniques did you use to draw in you know, the audience? Yeah, the first episode is crucial, but the first 30 seconds of your first episode are mm. the most crucial. I think you'll probably hear that a million times at this conference, is that just the first 30 seconds of your first episode is just so, so important to have a, a listener engage and then stay with the series. Um, you're packing so much into the first 30 seconds. You're, you're uh, intriguing your listener. You're making them wonder. You're surprising them. Um, hopefully it sounds really nice. It's sound rich. Um, and it also sets stakes and sort of, you know, it, yeah, it sets stakes to what you're going to listen to for the rest of the series, I think is what a really good 30 second first first 30 to 60 second um, uh, clip of your first episode is. And I think we did um, quite a nice job on that. And in, <laughs> in Mamie, um, we had made a really like spiraling, um, sound rich sound, uh, sound collage of a ton of mothers of the movement. You know, all of these clips that we had been hearing for so long in the news um, about losing their son. And uh, we, you know, I, I love this montage. I mean, sound-wise, you know, you hear one voice go in and another voice go out. It's just really like engaging, and you want to be in it. And it feels, it feel you feel a lot of emotion when you're in it. And then we decided to end um, with a clip from Mamie, and I wrote it down to, uh, this morning. Uh, she says, "I can't remember a day that I have been free from the memory of Emmett's death." And I think that ending with that clip. Why I, why I like it so much is that I think what was so important in the series was to remember that this is a story about Mamie. We're so used to just, we're, here, we're always hearing the story of Emmett, but we really wanted this to be about Mamie. And I think that this clip really like brought it into her own perspective and her own emotions. Um, and I just really, I think it, it really set the stage of like, 
here, here are all these really current clips and how this story is still really relevant today. And that's gonna be the whole arc of the series is like we're gonna dive into Mamie, this story that we haven't really heard, but it's still gonna be very relevant and we're gonna learn things, we're gonna reflect. And um, yeah, I think, I think it's, you know, the, 30, the first 30 seconds are really, really hard. You gotta do a lot of work, but it's worth it. And, and I would argue that the host is just as important as, as all those things Carrie Ann mentioned, right? Um, great writing, obviously. I mean, at, that, at this point, great writing is just obvious. It has, to, it has to be an element. But great writing, great sound, all those things are really important because that's, as a listener, that's what, you, that's what you hear first. But I would also say that who you hear is just as important, right? So your host, you know, what's their tone? Um, you know, what's their personality? What's the inflections of their voice? What makes them an expert? Why should listeners connect with this person? Um, and I think that was, that's really important too, you know, making sure that you have someone that um, can really bring this story and all those different great elements to life. Um, and so kind of switching moderator, <laughs> panelist, um, you know, we, it was obvious why we chose you um, to, do the, to do the podcast. I'm curious why you chose this show. So it's I, now I'm in the hot seat. Um, and I have to say the first thing is that it was just a complete honor to even be involved in the project, to it, let alone be approached. And so Liz was the first person who approached me and we had a conversation. And I was a little awestruck, I think, at the idea of being involved with a subject that I had spent so much time with, at least in the classroom and with the larger audiences, but who still kind of res, uh, remained a mystery. Although increasingly, and I think this is like the beginning of something really beautiful, um, more and more people are focusing on the story of Mamie Till uh, Mombly, which is wonderful. Um, and so I had like this long history, like it just felt like a natural fit. I had, had been teaching about Mamie Till Mobley. I spent a lot of time talking about, you know, why would someone, particularly someone so young, make a choice to, you know, make such a dramatic choice in terms of showing her son's body to the world? Why would she go to the trial every single day of the trial? What was that life, right? life in the segregated South? Why would she go on tour with the NAACP for close to a year on these like speaking engagement? What's in that mindset? So the idea of being able to explore that was like both an honor, but just so exciting. I was like, of course, yes, I want to do it. Um, the other thing, though, is that, of course, we, ha we all have this, this memory of, or at least we should have this memory, popular memory, of Mamie Till Mobley being the original mother of the movement. Right? This is part of what makes her iconic. She lays the groundwork. She is, you know, when we think about mothers of the movement, she is the mother of the movement before there are other prominent mothers of the movement because of her decisions and her actions. Um, but I'm also a mother of three children, and I write about that. And I had written a piece um, for The Atlantic about the joys of black motherhood. And so as I mentioned earlier, as I began reading the script, I said, this is a story, yes, that is about tragedy, but it is also about resilience, and it's about joy. And something just resonated. 
I was like, this is such a beautiful story. And again, I just want to be involved in any way, shape, or possible with this. Um, and I should also say this. Um, I mentioned to the production team from the very beginning, I was like, guys, this is a little weird for me because I hate the sound of my own voice. Like, I, I don't, you know, I don't like hearing playback. Even, you know, they were laughing. They're like, Lee, you got to listen to this clip. And I'm like, no, I don't have to listen. You can tell me. Tell me what to do. Um, but I overcame my fear and over to do this in part because of the, the, the really brilliant production and skills and writing of the team. And there were so many moments where we would have to stop recording because I was either laughing or I was like, this is amazing, or I was crying because, and I think that's a testament to just how skilled um, the entire team was, but also how much time and effort they really put into their craft. And there's one scene in particular I want to point out. Again, it's not a spoiler, but it's something to look forward to. There is a scene um, that, is, that is set around Christmas and it is Emmett Till, and he's dressed up in his finest clothes, and he's posing in front of a Philco television set. If you don't know what a Philco television set is, look it up. I know we all had to like had to look it up. We all had to look it up. But it is such a beautiful image. You can actually go and look and and see that picture um, if you go online. It's it's not the first picture you'll see of Emmett Till, of course, but it is perhaps I think the one that most captured um, who he was but also how much love surrounded him. And the fact that this team was able to put that in and make me feel that and make the audience feel that is just a testament to like just how good they are. And I also think it's, it's um, a testament to how much effort is necessary to put into your work as a, for a podcast if you want it to be something that is good and compelling. And once you do that, it will speak for itself. Um, which also brings me, this is enough of me talking, um, brings me to my next question. And this is the, the real nuts and bolts one, right? These brilliant ideas don't come out of nowhere. They don't spring from nowhere. They come from so, somewhere, right? So what is the step-by-step -step process? Like, Take us through the step-by-step -step process of this podcast? Like, how did you get it done, start to finish? Well, um, no, I, we had about 40 plus hours of tape um, to listen to from all of the interviews. Um, so I would say the first step uh, when we uh, got everything and we were gonna make the show <clears throat> was that we all split up the tape and we all listened to to tons and tons and tons of tape. Um, and I think just like jumping off of what you were saying about like finding, you know, because I think the, the first step is listening to all the tape, but then pulling the best tape, pulling your favorite tape. And I think that the most important thing to do as, as a producer when you're listening to tape, whether it's interviews that you've done or interviews that your host has done or vice versa or whatever, um, is listen to your gut and listen to the questions that you're asking yourself or like listen to when you stop and, and say like, wow, that's a really good piece of tape. Um, that those are the moments that you want to like, I'm literally like grabbing it like I'm in Pro Tools, but like those are the moments where you want to like pop that down into another track and save those, save those moments. Because that TV moment, I mean, it's incredible to think about hearing the story behind this really joyful picture is, is really beautiful. Um, so yeah, I would say first step was listening to a ton of tapes, 
we all pulled selects. Um, I would say like from the 40 hours of tape, we probably all pulled like the best 20 minutes of tape, which is so hard because of how great the interviews were. Um, but I think like for me, when I'm going through selects and, and pulling selects, something that I really like to do, um, just like a little, a little trick, if you will, um, is that when you're, when you're pulling, you know, 40 hours of tape, um, tell someone the story of the tape that you're pulling. So if you're doing an, if you're listening to an interview, tell someone in five minutes, say like, I'm gonna tell you what this interview is about in five minutes, and then do it again in three minutes, and then do it again in two minutes, and then do it again in one minute, and then do it in 30 seconds. And that really helps me, and hopefully anyone else who tries to do that, like really narrow down the best beats of your story or the best beats of your interview. Um, I think it's something I learned in like college improv, but has really gotten me far, I will say. And either when you're just telling a really large story, it, it helps you distill the beats. But even in interviews, it helps you distill the best, the very best parts, I think. Um, and on top of that, we read Mamie's memoir front to back, maybe three times each, and just got really, really, engaged into the story and uh, you know the fun part about being a producer is you kind of have to be the expert you have to you have to be an expert in whatever sh you know show that you're making um, and this was a great a great thing to be uh, really dug into um, yeah and the great thing about sharing you know the burden of all that tape um, is that it really helps you define your outline. So before we you know, even started listening to the tape, we had a general outline of what the beats of the story would be, and we knew we would tell the story, for the most part, chronologically, because that made sense. Um, usually it does. Um, and so when we know what the best tape is, we can take that and kind of superimpose it on the outline and see, okay, this beat, we thought it would be major, but we don't really have that much sound to support it. So here's where exposition, we're going to have to pay special attention to this. Um, or if there's, you know, a scene that we weren't thinking about including, but there's incredible sound of somebody describing it, um, then we're like, oh, let's include that. You know, that's going to be an emotional scene, emotional truth, ultimately that we weren't thinking about before. Um, and, you know, after we have all the tape and we have the outline and we start writing, that's when things get a lot of fun and very collaborative. Um, yeah. You want to talk about table reads? Yeah. Sure, yeah. yeah. And then I, yeah, just going, like, truly step by step. Um, so we do, uh, going back to when you pull your selects, we do something called tape time, which is essentially we, we show each other our best tape. We, we play it for each other. And what's great about that is that you get some reassurance and like, oh yeah, that was a really great piece of tape because Susie laughed or smiled or you know had some sort of reaction to it. So you know you want that in your episode. Um, it's really important, I think, to pay attention to that um, because when you react like that, then the listeners will react like that. Um, so after we kind of do a show and tell, we find our very best pieces of tape, and then we go as producers and write the episodes. And then we do uh, basically a table read where um, we have all of our clips and pro tools that we play out loud, but our host, Leah, or, or you know, our producers or whoever of that episode at the table read will read the script along with the tape. So it's like a live podcast, essentially. And what's so helpful there is that we'll have fresh people, like fresh ears come in. So either, you know, other producers on the ABC team who have never heard this show before will come in as a first listener. And that is crucial. I think the episode one edit or table read is, is really pivotal because 
you're, you're trying it. You're like, all right, I wrote this thing. Hopefully it's good. Let's see what, let's see what happens. And then you get reactions and um, feedback that will help you move forward with the script to make it even better. Um, and I think we have such a great team um, that I think we all share feedback super, super well together. And I think um, that's really important. To find a team that you really trust with feedback, I think, is, is a game changer. But I think every time you know, a note came up or like um, a piece of feedback, it's like, we all want this thing to be the very, very, very best thing possible. So whatever you're telling me to do, I'm like, totally, a million percent, you're right. Let's go, like, you know, trust your team and trust that you know, the feedback they're giving you on you know, these edits are to help you make the very best thing possible. Um, I think, what else? And you here? definitely need someone that's not connected to the project to listen first, right? Because when you're creating it and you're an expert in it and things feel really obvious to you, but then someone else comes in and listens and they, don't, they can't follow or there's something that, that's missing. And so I would definitely say make sure that when you have those table reads that you have people not connected to the project listening in. Yeah, there are two things I always ask people who join us on table reads to pay attention to. When you're bored and when you're really confused. Because um, that's when you know you need to go back, you might need to do some restructuring. Um, and that's, it's really a great, it's like a live performance of uh, a podcast and we do it over Zoom, so we don't get to have snacks while we do it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's incredibly beneficial. Yeah, and I, I think it's that idea of trust is really important, particularly when you're working on a story that has difficult elements. Um, so I'm wondering if you, maybe you guys can answer two questions for me. One, which is like, how did you manage emotions doing this? And then does that, I think it feeds into a question about like, how did you divvy up the tasks? Like that's the, that's the nuts and bolts questions. How did you divvy up the tasks, particularly given the sensitive nature of uh, the podcast. So you, said, <clears throat> so you said, how did we manage our emotions? The emotions. I did not manage my emotions. Um, so I struggled at the beginning of the process a lot. So as, as Karian mentioned, we, you know, we divvied up the, the audio and we listened to these tapes. And obviously the story is, like a lot of it is just horrific um, and super tragic. And so I thought I was in a mind frame to, to tackle it. Um, and I, one of the, um, one of the sources we use is um, Emmett's cousin Wheeler, who was there the day that the men came and um, uh, took Emmett from his relative's home. Um, and I, I couldn't listen to it. It just was, it was too much. And so I remember it was like the weekend, it was a Saturday. And I was like, I'll just push through. I'll push through. Like, this is my job. I can do this. Um, and I, I couldn't do it. And I think um, it's, it, the subject isn't that old, right? It's not that far removed. It's not something that happened in 1400 and like that could never happen in America again, right? It's still very real. Um, and so listening to that kind of trauma was too much for me emotionally. Um, and so um, I made a decision at that moment, like I love this project, but I love me more. Um, and so I went to my friend and colleague Susie and I told her, I said, hey, I'm really struggling. I really, I can't listen to it. And she's like, I got you. And she listened and you know, we moved past that, but that was that was tape that I actually couldn't couldn't um, couldn't process. So I'm I'm wondering too. I think that's a natural feed in into this. Like, how did you then divvy up the larger responsibilities of the episode? Like, what was the life cycle of an episode? I could start, and then maybe you can talk about like time. You know. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, each producer owned an episode, so uh, we there's three episodes, so it's three producers, you guys split an episode. Um, and we were in charge of, of really the start to finish of the episode, so listening to the tape, pulling the selects for that episode, writing the script, presenting the script in, in table reads, working in Pro Tools. I mean, as a pro I always say as a podcast producer, when people ask me what my job is, I'm like, kind of everything from literally the beginning to the end uh, until like, you know, Leah beautifully says it into a microphone. Um, and that's really fun. It's also a lot of hard work, um, but keep pushing through <laughs> is what I'll say. I, I always really love, um, I forgot what it's called, uh, the, on the Out on the Wire, the, the, this American life, like kind of like, here's what it is like to make a story. And there's moments where you're like, there's a part of the book that I really love where she's so deep in the, the dark forest of being in a story or writing in a story and like the, the, all the things that come up, like the imposter syndrome and being like, I'm the worst writer in America. Like I'll like write little comments and scripts being like, KT, you better fix this because it's so bad. Um, just be kind to yourself, you'll get it. And then you have a great, hopefully, you know, you have a great team or friends that can help you uh, with a script. But you know, yeah, we all divvy up episodes. We all take that responsibility. And then as producers, we all help each other give feedback. Um, and then timeline-wise. Yeah, I mean, and you know, at ABC, we have something called a standards and legal department. Um, and so, you know, there's a brand, ABC's brand, we have to definitely have to live up to that. And so there's a whole process there where they review all of our scripts and we make sure we follow the sequence so that we're not giving Leah a script that hasn't been approved, or approved by all parties involved. That way we limit the number of retracks. Um, and speaking of tracking, I mean, I had so much fun tracking with, <laughs> with Leah, um, we did it all remotely. She was sometimes at her desk, right? But then we moved to her closet. Sometimes in a closet. Yeah, yeah. On the floor in the closet. Yes. How was that for you, Lily? Oh, I yeah. mean, it was such a, I think, I, all kudos goes to the team because it was such a seamless process. It was very easy. And, you know, I, I've done other kinds of podcasting before, and this was by far the easiest and the smoothest. And you get into a rhythm. And I think the, the piece of advice, I'll give you two pieces of advice. One is, I think, always try and record in the same place because who you are changes depending on where you are. So I did like one episode where I recorded, I was in Los Angeles, we were all in Los Angeles actually, and we had to retake the entire thing because they were like, you sounded like LA Leah. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what LA Leah is, but they were like, LA Leah's not working. And I was like, okay, all right. And I knew in my gut that something was different, but I think it's a really good piece of advice. And then the other thing is, everyone worked with me, but in particular I worked closely with Susie, and Susie would say, this scene calls for this emotion. This scene calls for gravitas. This scene calls for humor. And I think that was a really important part of building on this larger ABC brand of trust. ABC is a trusted news source, right? But also having the appropriate kind of read for the thing that you're talking about, right? Rather than a monotone or laughing through something totally inappropriate. And so being able to read the mood of different scenes um, is a really big deal, in particular for, for uh, conveying reliability, authenticity, and I think expertise. But then there's one other thing, other piece of advice I would, I would give people, which is be vulnerable. I mean, so it's like a delicate dance between authority and 
vulnerability. Because if you're not vulnerable, then your audience is kind of looking and saying, well, why do I need to be vulnerable? And so it was, I think, there were parts of me that wanted to close off, particularly, I think, Lakia had a similar reaction to you, some scenes where I was like, I don't think I could do this. But then I think particularly with Susie's coaching, being able to say, I can do this both with authority, but also with vulnerability. And it ended up being really quite powerful. So in the last you know, four minutes that we have up here, it's flown by. I just want to ask, you know, I, I want to ask how you, like this is, what's the big picture? Like how long does it take to put together an episode? Um, so I'll speak for the whole series. Um, yeah. So it's a three episode series. Um, it took us six months to create. Yeah, um, and it, you know, we spent like two months working on the research and, and you know, writing, um, and that bled into the, you know, next two months, which was writing and production, and then that bled into, you know, full-on production. Um, and this project required that amount of time because we needed to make sure we told it right, like what Leah said, hitting the right tone, also making sure that we got the facts right. Um, and... So yeah, like we were really lucky to have the runway that we did to work on this. Yeah, so anyone want else? Carrie, anyone jump in? No, I think, I, I think I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, so the only other thing, the other big question, I have one more big question before we end, but you know, the second to last big question is thinking about sound. We've mentioned it a couple of different times, but the music for the series, which is just gorgeous, is really important. Can you talk to us a little bit about the music and like the sound of the series? Susie is the sound machine. <laughs> no, okay, so I love working. This is my one of my favorite parts of the process because my parents spent a lot of money on piano lessons growing up and I just feel so, I'm like, yes, I'm actually using those skills. Um, so I love working with composers. We have a great composer um, who also worked on The Dropout and our process for this, you know, we create what we call a mixtape for him, and so we have a playlist of music that we were inspired by. Mm. Um, and not only that, but we will detail, we'll give him a document, and we'll detail what we liked about that music. You know, what are the components of this track that we wanted, and why? You know, what emotional beat does this match with? What scene can it represent? So that's kind of like the more like administrative part of it. Um, but then th we get to the more abstract, sort of fun part. You know, we were asking each other <laughs> some crazy questions, um, like, you know, what does a mother's memory sound like? Mm -hmm. And and Evan was talking about how you know the your the, your mother's heartbeat is the first thing that you hear, um, and just going from there, uh, we created, well, really, um, our composer created such a beautiful theme. We all cried yeah. at some point listening to the music. Um, and there are always revisions, you know, we'll go back and we'll say, hey, you know, this chord progression is great, um, but it might be a little bit too melancholy. Let's pare back on that. Um, let's add some levity here. Um, so it really is a team effort. Yeah, and I think what's cool about um, music and also artwork is I think that's a place where you can put e little Easter eggs into, uh, into you know, into the series. I think um, our, our, a lot of music in the series had um, a ticking clock, and that represented the clock that um, Emmett had 
right? Emmett the had watch. Yeah, um, so it, had um, watch. It was his father's watch, and his mother had given it to him shortly before he went to Mississippi. Um, and he gave it back to her. Yeah, and Mamie has such like great memory of that watch. So we kept thinking, like, watch time. She knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I loved that we were able to include it in music. Yeah, and speaking of artwork, you know, are the if you look at the artwork, you know, it's a beautiful, lush picture. Um, and you'll notice that there's actually magnolia flowers, which is the state flower of Mississippi. Yeah. So I have to end with one question. And it's a burning question. It's a big question. What is next for Reclaimed? So like I mentioned before, you know, we're looking for stories and working on stories that really fill the gaps in history and provide some, a new way of looking at how the past connects with the present and the future. Um, and we're working on a lot more. So if you want to find out about what we're working on, go to our booth. Yes. Um, Please you were join here us. earlier, you saw me munching on those cookies. We have so many. Please. So many cookies. Yes. Um, they're for you, so please stop by the booth and say hi. It's where it's the living room. It's literally right behind. So, it's yeah, right yeah. behind. As you behind go out, coffee. you'll see it. So, thank you. I just want to give yeah. a round of applause to our panelists who are wonderful. Thank you to you, the audience. Um, please enjoy the conference, and please make sure that you stop by the Disney Podcasting Lounge. It's not a booth. It's a there's a couch. Please join us. Have some cookies, and let's talk. Take care, and have a good day. Thank you.